and uh, you recognize right away the prefix penta in Pentecost. That's because it's 50 days from Easter until the Holy Spirit comes. And so for the first 40 days after Easter, Jesus moved around in his resurrected body as a witness to the truth that he rose. So he went, last week we heard about how he went to Thomas. He went to all the disciples. At one point he visited with 500 people in the flesh in his resurrected body. The number of witnesses is huge. 40 days he did this. And then he said, now wait in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And he ascended back to the father. 10 days later, for a total of 50 days, 10 days later, the Holy Spirit came in great power unifying languages, taking a bunch of scared disciples hiding in an upper room and turning them into a spiritual force that has caused a church that for now 2,000 years has just spread like wildfire because it's the Holy Spirit's fire. Now, this morning I'm going to suggest that the main thing the Holy Spirit comes to do is to convict the world. And if you'll turn with me in a Bible to John 16, that'll be my preaching text this morning that Jessica read for us. It's on page 902. The language that Jesus is talking about here is picking up the courtroom metaphor. This is part of Jesus's farewell discourse. He is on the night before he's about to be betrayed. He's done the upper room and somewhere between washing their feet and praying in the garden, he gives this teaching and he's explaining to them the things that are to come. And they can't really absorb it, to be honest. He gives them a lot here. And then he says, I want to even say more to you, but when the Spirit comes, he will lead you into all the truth that you need. But right here, he's using language that is picking up a courtroom metaphor. So what we're going to find is that he is describing a trial. The world is on trial before God. And God is the judge, and the Holy Spirit is the prosecutor. And he's come to convict the world. Now, if you know what the Holy Spirit is doing, you are far more likely to see him do it, to recognize God at work, than if you don't know. You'll miss certain things if you don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing. My wife works in the schools quite a bit these days, and so anyone who works with younger culture picks up on um, trends faster. So she came home from work one day a week and a half ago and said, you've got to see this video. It's going viral. It's all over the, um, the internet. And she shows me a video and it's got a guy dancing in it. And he's a very good dancer. And he's, uh, it's got a kind of a hypnotic rhythm to it. And I watched it and it's got some shocking elements in it because it's actually um, a statement against our culture of violence. And so between his hypnotic um, Uh, the the music and his really good dancing and some of the shocking things, I missed a number of other things. After watching it two or three times, maybe even four times, Heather said, did you see the person riding the white horse behind the dancer? I was like, what? There's no horse? So we watched it again. Sure enough, a person galloping on a full-size white horse goes right behind this guy dancing. And I just totally missed it because I didn't understand what the video was about. The hypnotic rhythm and the dancer are right in the camera but the whole thing is portraying something behind it. The song is kind of, you know, upbeat, but it's, it's a horrible story it's telling of things that are going on in our culture right now. All the violence, all the shooting, all the stuff that's happening, and you see stuff happening behind the dancer. Once I knew that this was a satire against our culture, then I quit looking at the dancer, and I started watching all the symbols and images and trying to make sense of this video. The same thing is true for the work of the Holy Spirit. If you know what he's doing, then you'll be looking at the right stuff and you'll go, aha, that's the Holy Spirit. Oh, there he is over there. Look, he's doing something there. And you start to recognize these things. Then you start to see God at work. 
But if we're ignorant of what he's doing, we'll miss it. Oftentimes we miss it. And this is the experience of many churchgoers, is we don't understand what God is doing. We don't understand the spiritual work that's happening right in our midst. And so we miss it, or we um, come to wrong conclusions. If you're ill-informed about God's work, you will expect one thing to happen, and when your life doesn't do that, or, or contrary things happen, even suffering or conflict or loss or whatever, you can come away with wrong conclusions and be spiritually devastated and miss God at work. I know a woman in our church who I talked to about a year ago who was really wanting God to speak to her and was praying for God to just, God, why won't you speak to me? Why won't you speak to me? And just kept wanting to hear God speak to her. And he didn't seem to be speaking to her. And she got really frustrated and said, I think I'm going to quit praying. I'm just getting so tired of this. I want God to speak. He doesn't speak. See, that's a wrong conclusion. And I want to recommend that there's another approach. Instead of coming with our agenda to God, why don't we go to God and say, God, what are you doing in the world? I want to join you there. I want to pray in the name of Jesus. In other words, in accordance with what Jesus said he's doing in the world. And then start to partner with God, start to participate in kingdom stuff, start to see what God is doing and experience him. I'll come back to that woman in a bit. But let me ask you this question. How would you answer this if someone said, what is the Holy Spirit doing in the world? How would you answer that question? What is the Holy Spirit doing in the world? John 16 tells us, Jesus says specifically what this Holy Spirit, this helper is how the ESV translates it, what this helper is going to do. Now remember, courtroom, this is a courtroom metaphor here, and the word in Greek is paraclete, and it can be translated a number of different ways. ESV translates it helper, which I don't particularly like. NIV translates it counselor. The New Revised Standard Version translates it as advocate. King James Version calls him the comforter. I like the NIV and the NRSV because both of those are courtroom language, right? A lawyer is called a counselor. Counselor, it's a title for an attorney. And an advocate, you can think about a legal advocate. I mean, really, what what do you hire legal counsel to do? Is to come alongside and help argue your case and help fight for justice for you. And so we've got the Holy Spirit coming as the legal advocate, the counselor, the one who is coming to convict the world and declare certain things. And if you look in verse 8, look in verse 8, Jesus says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Three things, sin and righteousness and judgment. And Jesus goes on in verse 9 and says, this this helper, this advocate, this counselor will convict the world concerning sin because they don't believe in me. So he will convict the world that they are not receiving Jesus as the Savior. He will convict us of our need for a Savior. It's one of the main things that he does. And this is a primary sin in the world. God has sent the greatest gift ever in Jesus, and for a number of reasons, we don't receive him. John says he came to his own, and his own people didn't receive him. That God has salvation for us, and we just heard it in multiple languages, that God so loved the world, out of love he sent his Son, and the world rejected him and did not receive. And the Holy Spirit brings that conviction. It's a conviction of our sin and our need for Jesus as a Savior. Think about when Jesus healed the man, uh, one, a, a particular man, and in front of a number of people. And at one point, he says, your sins are forgiven. And they were judging him for that. 
And Jesus said, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say be healed? And he says, so that you know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, be healed. And he heals the man in the presence of everyone. And he's trying to make the point that the bigger miracle is the heart that repents and receives God's forgiveness. That's actually harder. That requires more effort on God's part because it requires the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit to convict that heart to ask in repentance, to ask for, for, for forgiveness. Jesus is trying to show us something in that about how this works. The woman I mentioned, she started to pray in a different way. She started to pray for God's kingdom to come, for her to understand his work, for this particular thing to happen. And God put on her heart a certain individual, and she started praying for him to become a believer. So imagine what it did for her prayer life when in a, a certain church service, she, she noticed that he had a tear running down his face as the gospel was being taught. This man had come to saving faith in Jesus and his life was transformed. So this woman now understood what the Holy Spirit was doing and was able to rejoice with all of heaven. Jesus taught that all of heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. Now she's rejoicing with all of the heavenly council. She participated in praying for him to come to faith and got to see it. That happened again sometime later where God put another person on her heart. She prayed for him. He came to faith. Now it doesn't always happen quickly. I know a number of you have turned in prayer cards because we pray in our morning prayer time and you're praying for specific people that you love that they would have the experience of, of the gift of faith, that they would turn to Jesus and receive him. And we're praying with you on that. And sometimes it's frustrating why it takes a long time. But we pray, we pray for it to happen. Somebody once said to me, we shouldn't talk to, to people about God until we've talked to God about people. See, if I know the Holy Spirit's work is to convict about the need for Jesus as a Savior, I can then say, God, come to that person and convict them of their need for Jesus. And then when I share, they're way more ready. They're open because of what the Holy Spirit is already doing. So he comes first to convict about sin and the need for Jesus. Think about this. Um, I'm thinking about in a Navy town where we have, uh, you know, a lot of pilots, and they practice water rescues sometimes out here in the St. John's River. Helicopter comes over. We tend to think about it like this. Person's in the water in danger of drowning. A helicopter puts a ladder down. I, I can do this. I can climb out and save myself. All I need is a ladder. But in reality, they always throw a person down there in the water with flotation stuff. And a lot of times the person being saved is fighting against their rescuer for fear, for whatever else. And, and if you think about it in a spiritual way, the rescuer drowns. He drowns. He dies on the cross so that we can be saved. This is the kind of level that God, God does for us, the, the level of salvation he has for us, that Jesus is willing to die out of love for us. He doesn't just say, Here, here's, which, here's the tools you need to save yourself. He comes and saves at his own great personal expense. And so the Holy Spirit comes and convicts the world. This is the Savior. This is how much he loves the world. This is what he's willing to do to save you. So the Holy Spirit brings that conviction. He convicts the world regarding sin that we don't believe in Jesus as our Savior. So he wants to open hearts so that we will. Second thing, and this one's kind of hard to understand. If, now, if you look at verse 10, it says, and he will um, convict the world concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Think courtroom metaphor again. Righteousness, the Greek word, could easily, just as easily be translated as justice. Justice because I go to the Father. 
Jesus dies on the cross, goes to the Father who glorifies him and says, this is my son, and says, be glorified. It was an entirely unjust death. And the Holy Spirit brings conviction that that should have been us on the cross, not Jesus. He didn't deserve it, we did. Think about some examples from the Passion narrative where the Holy Spirit does this level of conviction. One is Judas. Judas, for love of money, betrays the Son of God, right? And so for 30 silver pieces, he arranges for Jesus to be betrayed in the garden while he's praying. After the crucifixion, the Holy Spirit has convicted Judas so much of how unjust Jesus' death was that he throws the money back in the temple and he says, I've betrayed innocent blood. And he takes his own life because he realizes what he's done. Not only that, but think about um, Pilate's wife. While this mock trial is going on of Jesus, she, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, has a dream and is very disturbed about it and comes to her husband and says, Pilate, have nothing to do with this man. He's innocent. But he goes forward anyway. Think about the two thieves on the cross, one on either side of Jesus. They are both criminals, and here's Jesus in the midst of them, and they start mocking him. And, and then one of them is convicted by the Holy Spirit, and he says to the other, hey, we deserve this. We did evil, and we got, we got what we deserved. But this man is innocent. He's on that cross not because of anything he's done. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. See, he repented because the Holy Spirit convicted him concerning righteousness, concerning justice, that Jesus did not deserve to die, but instead he did and we did. And so that man gets saved right there. Not only that, but Pilate writes the king of the Jews on the sign above Jesus. And they're upset. They, they wanted to say, he said he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate at this point goes, what I've written, I've written. I think he's starting to see the, the ridiculousness of this trial. Not only that, but the centurion who was part in actually physically crucifying Jesus, when he dies, he says, surely this man was the son of God. The Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning how unjust Jesus' death was, but yet how loving it was that he did it for us. So he convicts the world concerning sin because we don't believe in Jesus, concerning righteousness because he didn't deserve to die, but did it anyway out of love for us. And then the third thing is He convicts the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, I don't like how they translate it is judged in the ESV. It actually is the perfect tense in in the verb there, has been judged. In other words, it's already happened, done event, but the effects keep carrying forward into the future, into our time and beyond. So you'll read like in Ephesians, the apostle Paul says, you have already been seated, raised, you've been raised with Christ, you have been seated with him in the heavenlies, these things are already secure. For the Christian, it's already done. You already have won. Now we're just kind of cleaning some stuff up and helping other people come into this victory. And so that Holy Spirit comes and he brings that kind of a conviction about this war that we're in. The ruler, that word is speaking about Satan. I mean, we're talking about real spiritual forces here, the enemy of God, Satan. As C.S. Lewis put, put it, the entire world is both claimed and counterclaimed by a kingdom. The ruler of this world, Satan, says, that's my dominion. And Jesus came and said, the kingdom of God is at hand and planted his flag in that turf and said, I'm taking it back. It's mine. And the kingdom of God has been advancing ever since. And he's taking it back one soul at a time, one person at a time until it all will be his. The Holy Spirit convicts about that and shows us this. Now, it's interesting. If you watch much TV, you see the increase, let's say over the last 15 years, 
you see the increase in interest in spiritual things. How many shows have a witch or spells or vampires or things that are not just kind of matter of fact day-to-day stuff, but an interest in the spirit realm, but ignorant really of the danger there. People want an experience. People are hungry for spiritual things. All people, not just, not just adults, children too, teenagers, they want a spiritual experience, but don't realize the danger of what, what they're messing with. Now, on the one hand, it's frightening, this increase in, in spiritual things. But on the other hand, the Holy Spirit says, I'm in you, and I'm stronger and more powerful than these spirits in the world. In fact, listen to what um, John, the beloved, now at, at the point he wrote this, he was a an, uh, very old pastor, pastoring Christians around Ephesus. And he said, the spirit of the Antichrist is in many people in your church. And so don't be alarmed. Watch out for it. He said, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have, have overcome them already. In Christ, you've already overcome them. I love that perfect tense. You've already done it. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who came at Pentecost and is in the heart of every single believer is stronger than these spirits in the world. You and I, if you're a Christian, you and I have a power source in us that is greater than we realize. I mean, think about this. The Holy Spirit of God hovered over the waters of creation. His power ordered everything. Stand on the edge of something like the Grand Canyon and marvel at the majesty of this and realize how small we are in the universe and how many galaxies and how glorious and how big all that is. That power is within you. The spirit that is in Christians is greater than any of these spirits that are in the world. And the Holy Spirit brings that conviction. And a confidence comes with it. A confidence to be able to engage in this this spiritual marketplace. To come in with real spiritual authority and say, this is the gospel. This is who God is. Put that away and walk, walk in the light. We can push back the darkness by the truth. He's invited us into this. And, and so we don't have to be afraid. Because what Satan, Satan's ploy is either to get you to think he doesn't exist and then mess with your life that way, or to think, get you to think he's stronger and scarier than he actually is. And the Holy Spirit in you is so much stronger I, want, I long for our church to walk in real spiritual authority, to be able to know God's power and the goodness of the gospel. It's not that complex. I mean, the, the Bible's probably written on like a grade school level. To understand the gospel, you can get this. We don't have to, I try and preach so it's simple and clear, so that you can know the gospel and know that the Holy Spirit's in you, and then go, be a witness out there, push back the darkness, be part of that work of bringing people into God's kingdom. Let me give you an example of this and how the Holy Spirit um, actually really encouraged and strengthened Dan. I asked permission to share this story. Uh, he and Carrie, uh, some time ago, were visiting an art studio in, in town, and um, we're looking at the art in the downstairs gallery, and a woman was there and said, well, I'm actually the owner of this studio, and it's your lucky day. You get to see the upstairs studio as well. There's more art up there. Why don't you come on up? And as they're walking up the stairs to the second floor, Carrie starts to get a feeling of something's not right here. Like the Holy Spirit is saying, there's something's off. You know, sometimes pastors are a little slower. Our wives are a lot quicker. <laughs> She's sensing something's not right here. And they get up and they're looking at some of the stuff up there. And then she has a, a reading room where she's doing spirit stuff. 
you know, communicating with the dead, um, offering palm readings, that kind of stuff. You know, think crystal ball, think, you know, tarot cards, that sort of stuff. And um, they, they go into that room. She invites them to come in and they walk into it and they can feel palpably the evil that's present. There are evil spirits in there because they've been invited in there because this woman sort of unknowingly is channeling actual evil and it's giving her a sort of power. But as they walked in there, Carrie's like, I want, I want out. I want nothing to, I want out of here. But Dan is feeling that inner sense of the spirit in you is greater than the spirit that's in this world. And so he doesn't have to be afraid, but he knows he doesn't want to be in there. So they, they politely leave and even has, you know, pity for this woman who's, who's in the, in the grasp of darkness and doesn't realize it. And as they're walking out, he's not dressed like I am. As they're walking out, she says, you're a pastor, aren't you? Like she knows, she knows, she felt the clash of the two kingdoms. She felt that the power of the Holy Spirit in Dan and Carrie, she felt it. I hope she wanted it. Dan just told me a minute ago that that art studio is now closed down. So thanks be to God for that, that 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 place of darkness has hopefully dissipated. But see, the spirit who is in you is powerful, more so than the spirits in this world. And the Holy Spirit comes to convict about sin so that we'll receive Jesus as Savior, about how the cross is unjust and he didn't deserve it and yet did it out of love for you. That's how he saved. And then the spiritual battle that we're in. And we're so oftentimes ignorant of that and, and just unaware. And it can disillusion us. It can confuse us. It can bring us to wrong conclusions. I mean, let me, um, I think I've told you about this before, but the first time I played paintball in Texas was with a bunch of kids that were in my youth group. And they thought it'd be fun to invite me to come. They do this a lot. Um, so we had different understandings of what this game was that we were going to do. See, I thought I was going to play a game with some friends. They thought they were going to do war on their youth pastor. <laughs> and so I roll in in my t-shirt, I get my cheap rental, you know, paintball tool, my gun, whatever, and, and we go out onto the playing area and the ref blows the whistle to start. And then bullets start flying fast, whizzing over my head. And I hit the dirt. I, cr I crawled like a scared little boy behind a barrel. And I, I had to sit there for a full minute as my heart was jumping out of my chest thinking, this is really going to hurt. <laughs> See, I thought we were playing a game and they thought they were inflicting pain. And then I look around and I realize there are off-duty law enforcement guys there. There are some Navy people that were there or Army people that were doing some kind of training with their, their own little groups. They have better equipment. They have more protective clothing on. I came home with nine big purple welts with a dot in the middle all over my torso because I just didn't know. I, I, I didn't understand what I was walking into. And so the next time I played paintball, it was a totally different experience. I understood what it was about. Spiritually, so oftentimes our church is like that. We think we're playing just, you know, junior varsity and something so much bigger is going on. And the Holy Spirit has come since Pentecost to this day to empower us for that. If we know what the Holy Spirit is doing, then we'll see him do it and we can participate in it. That's what I long for our church, for each one of us, that you would understand what God has come to do, what his spirit is about. And then you can pray in that direction and you can participate in it. So let's do that now. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this great gift that we have. Jesus, you've made many promises and all of them have come true. You said never would you leave us alone, that you'd be with us to the end of this age. And through your spirit, that is true. Come Holy Spirit, breathe within your people. Empower this church 
to push back the darkness. Lord, give us strength. Help us understand. Give us courage to witness for you and boldness. I thank you for Pentecost. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.